0: everyone and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast.
1: My name is Sarah and I'm Bree and joining us on the podcast today, we have author Danica Favorite. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Can you tell us before we get into icebreakers how has 2021 been for you?
2: You know, it's getting better. Um I think just trying to adjust to what life looks like again and figuring out what to do with this new world that is still
1: in constant flux. It's so weird. It like feels normal, but like you're apprehensive about the normal. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And,
2: you know, and there's still just weird things. Like um, I went dancing the other night, decided um, as part of this whole reintroducing myself to the world, wanting to discover my former passions again, and one of them is dancing. And uh, it was interesting because we got to the place and they wanted to see our vaccine cards. And so, wow. um, which it is good if you think about it, because you're in a room touching sweaty bodies yeah. and mm-hmm. passing on germs. So, but it was just weird to have to think about, okay, how is this new way of operating? So yeah. just different for getting to adjust to this new world. Um, I haven't done any traveling by plane because wearing masks really affects my breathing. Mm -hmm. So um, I still haven't come come back to that part of my life, which I would really love to do. But that's where it is right now. And and just trying to, again, you know, find new ways of operating.
1: I've wondered if if places have done that. I'm like, because I keep mine in my, my wallet. And I'm like, I wonder if there are places that ask to see this because it yeah. seems any I haven't seen it so far anywhere that I've been, but right, you know,
2: yeah, I'm- it was it was my first time experiencing that. But um, I like you, I just kept mine in my wallet. But a lot of people don't, and so um, actually, what my husband did, which I thought was really good, and I noticed a lot of people were doing this. They just have a picture of it, and they're saved okay. in their phone oh, that's as a favorite, so that they can easily access it. And I thought that's a really great idea. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. one of the things I need to do. I also have to figure out my phone enough to figure out how to save a photo as a favorite. <laughs> yeah. So I can easily <laughs> my phone Understood. and I do not get along.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't have the. We're, we're not getting vaccination cards up here. Are are they said no. That they're not, and I'm like, I would happy to ha- be happy to have one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right,
2: that, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but what can you? Yeah, do? everyone does it differently for sure. So for sure, you, yeah. you know, it's just figuring out how to operate where there is nothing consistent, and you just do the best you can. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Do your part, and everything will be okay.
2: <laughs> right. Right.
0: So some icebreaker questions. On your website you talk about art journaling. Can you share how you got into it?
2: So I got into it years ago, actually. I don't even know how, how long ago. I actually I think I started it when I read the book The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown.
1: Oh, love her.
2: And yeah, and she talks about that. And at the time she had a master an Oprah masterclass. Oprah used to do these masterclass things and that she led. And it was all about using art journaling as a way to accept your imperfections and to say, hey, I'm not a great artist, and that's okay. It's still important to express yourself creatively and and get it out. So that's how I got started, and it's just something I still really love to do. I make really crappy art, and no one's ever going to look at something I've made and say, wow, that's so beautiful. Will you show me how to do it? And that's okay because mm-hmm. the point is just that creative expression and that non judgmental um, looking at what you can do. What's been one of your favorite travel destinations? That is such a hard one because I've been to so many great places. I would have to say, um, I, and, and you know, I've been thinking about these questions because you guys gave <laughs> them to me in <laughs> advance. And every time I think about it, I think of something different.
1: Well, you can talk about all of your faves. If That's you right. Want. It's your show. We're <laughs> this just is here. Your after show. Your yeah, we're just here. <laughs> um,
2: so, my, my favorite is, is going to be a toss up between going to Wales, oh which was really a different kind of experience because what I didn't realize is that in the UK, things close down early compared to what you experience in the States. And so, and it's lighter there because you're higher. So, it's, Oh, it's late-ish for them, but it's still bright as day out. And so we were at this museum in Wales. Uh, it was It's called the Museum of Welsh Life, I believe. Wonderful place. And I just spent all this time. I actually miss most of this museum because you go on a tour of the different buildings throughout history, throughout Welsh history. And so I went I stopped in one of these buildings and there was this really lovely man named Tony there. He was one of the docents. I think we talked for a couple of hours Wow. and just this really amazing man. And at the end of our talk, he pulled out his backpack and he handed me a book and it was a dictionary of Welsh and English terms. And he, I was like, well, you, okay, this is a weird gift, but I love books and I don't know what yeah. I would do with it. And he said, well, I want you to try to learn a few Welsh phrases because that we would have been talking about some phrases. And he said, but this is something. So you'll always remember me. And Aww, that I still so have sweet. the book, uh, even though I will always remember him mm-hmm. even without that book, because it was just such a special memory. So that was one of my favorite memorable times. Um, the other mm-hmm. one I was in Kuwait and we had this dinner at a woman's house and the men and women were separated. So the men went to the dinner at the man's house. And as women, we went to the woman's house and had dinner there. And the woman who was hosting us was just absolutely obese. I I mean, I've literally never, ever met anyone as obese as this woman. And that's important because I was extremely thin at the time. Okay. And so she had this goal of fattening me up. <laughs> and she called me skinny girl. Uh she would not she we all told told her our names but mm-hmm. I was just skinny girl. And so like this whole evening was this horrible evening of this I I was so full I couldn't eat anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she just kept saying, no, skinny girl, eat, eat, eat. I'm like, no, I can't
1: eat anymore. <laughs> I physically cannot oh take in any more food.
2: <laughs> uh, it was just the like, it was this horrible moment. But looking back, it was just the best, funniest time. Um, you know, because, I mean, she she said to me, oh, you're too skinny. You're never going to find a husband that way. I'll <laughs> fat you want that? you can marry one of my sons. And, um <laughs> So uh, any woman who struggles with body image, I'll I i do not remember the woman's name, but go to Kuwait and meet some of these ladies who want to fatten you up for their son.
1: Yeah. <laughs> was just, I love the the global beauty standards and agreed. how different they are. Yeah, <laughs> it
2: was it was just really funny, just because you just never know. And 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 like I said, th- this woman was telling me all these stories of how beautiful everyone thought she was and 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 like how in order to earn a husband, I needed to. It was just so funny because she's giving me all these tips, and I'm like, "Wow, yeah, okay." Stop <laughs> <not> feeding me. <laughs>
0: if you were given one extra hour during the day, what would you do with it?
2: Oh, extra hour. Probably, I would read. I don't feel like I get enough reading time, so if I could get a little more time to read. That would be really fun.
0: What is one book you can remember obsessing over as a kid?
2: Oh, Pippi Longstocking.
1: Oh, Best book yes. ever.
2: I loved Pippi. I wanted to be Pippi Longstocking. I <laughs> went through a phase where I tried to do some of the things that Pippi did and I got into a lot of trouble for it. And <laughs> I would justify it be like, but Pippi did it. Yeah. <laughs> and- I I never got away with it. I was so. I
1: remember her show coming on like early in the morning before I was getting ready for (laughs) school. Oh my gosh. Talking about nostalgia. I have not heard Pippi Longstocking in a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Best, best children's book ever. Yeah. 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 And with all the like shows that are being like readapted and stuff like that, it's like, that's one that it would be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. What like a modern. So
2: Fun. And her adventures were
1: amazing. Mm hmm. So how did you become a romance reader?
2: So I became a romance reader when I was about 12 years old. Every summer I'd go visit my dad and my grandma would come and stay with us at my dad's to babysit while he worked. And it was so hot in his little townhome that at night... I mean, this is back when air conditioning was a real luxury. And so at night, sleeping in that second floor bedroom, it was so hot. So my grandma who was staying there, she and I shared this double bed. And we were both just like, oh, I'm dying. It's so hot. And we would stay up until one or two o'clock in the morning reading because that's when it finally cooled down enough to sleep. And I ran out of books. I was reading all the Nancy Drew books. And I had run out of books and you know it's midnight. And so I was like, grandma, I'm out of books. And grandma handed me a Harlequin and said, here, read one of mine. <laughs> and I've been hooked ever since. I so. Love it.
0: <laughs>
2: and so then that became our thing is grandma and I would just trade back and forth books and, uh, I know a lot of people say that they snuck their mom's or grandma's books. No, my grandma just handed them to me. She just
1: handed it (laughs) I love it.
0: I love it. (laughs) We've seen on your website that it took you 12 years to sell your first book. Can you take us back to when you realized you wanted to pursue writing professionally and through the journey to becoming published?
2: So that's an interesting story because when I was growing up, my best friend's mom was a published author.
1: Wow, uh,
2: interesting. But they were also the poorest people I ever knew. Okay. Uh, Yeah, they they were just absolutely dirt poor. And uh, it was like, I can remember, we would go to parks and collect soda cans to turn in for money so they could Mm -hmm. buy groceries. So I thought, oh, I'd like to be a writer. But to me, being a writer meant that level of poverty. And I thought, I'm never going to do that. So maybe when I'm retired,
1: Mm, from and I don't need yeah, money. Yeah. I'll
2: I'll just write for the fun of it. And mm-hmm. I'll do th- I'll pursue it, and in the meantime, I'll just write stuff for fun. Well, I ended up being a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. and funny thing about that is I thought that's what I wanted, but none of my friends were stay at home moms, and so I was at home alone with a baby, and I was bored out of my mind. So I just started writing, thinking, okay, well, when she's asleep. I will work on my books. And then it just kind of became, well, if I'm going to be doing this, I might as well try to make some money with it and try to build a career out of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I got started, because it wasn't something I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And then once you get that bug of, OK, well, now I'm going to build a career of it. You, you just have to keep going.
1: Mm -hmm. So for any of our listeners who have yet to read the Love-Inspired Historical and or the Love-Inspired series, how would you describe those series to them?
2: Oh, wow. That is an interesting question because I think that they're both very different. Obviously, one is contemporary, one is historical. But I think the common themes that I have in those books that are important is that there really is a sense that I hope that... Many of us can recognize pieces of ourselves in those stories Mm -hmm. and that what you're going to expect is is some kind of encouragement for whatever you're going through. I really try to make that something that people are finding, yes, it's going to be an entertaining romance, but I also hope that at the end you're going to feel good from Mm -hmm. reading it. And I would say that would be true of any love-inspired or love-inspired historical book just that feeling of being uplifted and being inspired, even if it's just
1: a small way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you touched on that. And I don't want to get too far ahead. But with Raylan's story and her her relationship with her mom, as I get older, and like I have a daughter, I've really been like, reflecting a lot on my relationship with my mom and how I, I tend to give her like a really hard time sometimes. And then her relationship with my grandmother and my relationship with my grandmother and i was just there was a lot of like i could see myself in ray lynn and i like the, the encouragement piece we see ray lynn she cuts her mom some slack she's like you know if i was in that situation i probably would have screwed it up and then she's able to like Really understand that her mom always did the best that she could. So yeah, I love that you said that because as soon as you said it, I was like, yes, I did see myself yeah, in yeah. like this most recent book. I, I'm and-
2: glad. I'm glad that I, that tells me I'm doing my job. And, yes, <laughs> and, and that's really especially for me as, as we're coming back, going back to what you were saying about coming into this new season of life and mm-hmm. what post lockdown looks like and everything is we need to acknowledge that in everyone that we are all just doing the best we can. And I think we do need to give give each other some slack Mm -hmm. because uh, it's, it's hard. Life is hard. And, uh, and to me, and this goes to the idea of even some of the themes that I'm writing about is that to me, that idea of giving ourselves and each other grace is just Mm -hmm. so important. Mm-hmm. one of the things
1: that Sarah and I were t- chatting about with like the love inspired historical series. So when you were writing for that, was there like any research involved with yeah. the stories? Like what did that kind of look like for you? Cause you have a backlist that I cannot wait. Like the nannies met little matchmakers, I think oh. it's called. Oh God. <laughs> I cannot wait to get. Oh, my I'm,
2: I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I, so I am a history nerd. I I was a history major in college, I love history. And so for me, my whole life is just research in, in, in that sense that, I, like I was telling you about the Museum of Welsh Life that I went to. I, I'm telling you, if I am in a place and there is a museum and I can go to that museum, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just a lot of all of that knowledge. And I got started in this historical series based on Leadville, Colorado, which is a real place in Colorado, and it was the place of where the big silver mining boom happened for Colorado. And that is the time period I write about and our family has a house there and it's a and we have a whole bunch of family connections to that area, so we used to go up there a lot. We haven't in a few years just because of life and COVID and all of that stuff. But there's tons of museums there. There's tons of history there. And I've really been immersed in that and immersed in so many of those stories that for me, reading about that history, it just became so easy to write about. And Mm -hmm. that whole historical series was based on the premise of something I had read in one of the old historical newspapers, because I'm a nerd like that. I, <laughs> you know, if it's an old historical newspaper or magazine or whatever, I would like to read that.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it was actually an advertisement for a debate between two pastors. And the debate was Are minors and lower class people above salvation? Like, are they able to be saved? And we have all these faith discussions in america and elsewhere in the world about what you know who what is christian and what is not christian and back in those times lower classes of people were deemed irredeemable mm. by certain people and i think that's really amazing that that was how people viewed other people that just based on your social class mm-hmm. and nationality, if you were Irish, you were deemed low class, you were deemed subhuman.
1: You weren't and, savable. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and to me that is really fascinating to look at how we see that humanity and other people. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's also true today. And so I really, a lot of those ideas and themes I took directly from. Okay, I read this. Uh, the the nannies little matchmakers. The 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 child is biracial, and the one child I should say, and the little girl. Yeah, yeah, I was so excited. That cover I is adorable. Got that
1: cover. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and the thing is, is that I've grown up in a family where. where it's biracial. I'm personally not, but with all the intermarriages and everything, like I'll walk down the street and Hey, yeah, this is my cousin. And they're like, Mm -hmm. your cousin. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's my family. Mm -hmm. And, and so to me, to be able to say, okay, this back then, this person was not considered a person is just Mm -hmm. to me, absolutely incredibly horrible. And to, to be able to write about that and give back some of that humanity to somebody who is a member of my current family, it's like, wow. Um, so maybe a little bit of revisionist history, but the truth is is that back then there, there were also people who were struggling to give rights to people who were different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And,
2: and hopefully, that recognition of everyone as a human being is important and something that shines through in my writing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that like, we've heard rumors that like, the series is coming back. I think it's going to be mostly re-releases, but even still, yeah. it feels like we're in a time right now where we could use yes, some of the past coming back, right, but right. that like that light of hope that's mm-hmm. yeah. that shines through it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't know
2: if you guys follow some of the single titled love inspired releases that are coming out mm-hmm. every couple of months. As part of that, they're going to be releasing some historicals. So that's where that's where it's coming back. It's not going to come back as a regular series like Love Inspired Historical was. Mm -hmm. Okay. some of those books will be coming back. And my books actually are being re-released as two in ones. So we wanted
1: to ask. But thank (laughs) you for
2: telling (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So um, I've had one that has already come out and that one is my first book, Rocky Mountain Dreams. Okay. So that one has already been re-released as a two in one. Mm -hmm. And I, I I believe I just got notification that another one's coming out. So. Fantastic.
0: Before we get into your most recent release, her hidden legacy, let's chat about the series. It belongs to the double R legacy series. When you sat down to begin writing the first book, the cowboy sacrifice, were you aware it was going to be the first book in a series?
2: Yes. Um, I when I said when I send my proposals in, it is always for a series. Okay. Okay. Because that just makes it easier for my editor to take a look at it and say, "Okay, here's the proposal, boom, what." Oh, I always do plan on it being a series, and sometimes it takes shape a little differently than I imagined it would when I first envision it, but okay. It's always planned to be a series. And part of that is also as a reader, I like to read series. And I know my readers like to read series. So mm-hmm. it's it's a win-win on all sides, I think.
1: So when you send in a proposal, is it like, like a chapter for each book or like a summary of each book? Like what does that mean?
2: So when I send in a proposal, I do a summary of what the series is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So th- the general overview, this is the series. And then I do just like a brief summary of each book and what I think each book is going to be about. And then for the first book, I'll send a more detailed synopsis and the first three chapters.
1: Okay. Her Hidden Legacy. Let's talk about it. It's book four in the series and it's the romance between Raylan and Hunter. And the story has a beautiful spin on found family, hidden identity. It explores things changing when you've made plans, forgiveness, Unexpected connections, stepping up, and a lot more. Can you take us back to the beginning and share with us how Raylan and Hunter's romance came to be? So obviously, like you probably, you already had an idea of this story when you sent in the proposal, but um, can you take us kind of through like writing it, like what that experience was like for you? It was
2: interesting because I really like to put two people together who you wouldn't ordinarily want to put together, and. For Raylan, especially, I really wanted the last man she ever wanted, and that's a man with a child. Yeah. So he had to be a father, and I had to make it a little worse by having these other children who were children of relatives that he was caring for added to the mix. So I really made it difficult for her and challenging for her to face the things that She never thought she wanted, but as she goes through the story and she gets to know Hunter and she gets to the children, she starts to realize more about herself and more about what family means. Yeah, you made it like
1: you made it so challenging for her because she does not want kids, which is her right. She doesn't want kids. Right. And so he's like not. The guy that she would want but she's also so drawn to him because i mean it was kind of hot how good of a man hunter like he just <laughs> steps up and he's like, okay, these kids need somewhere to go. Like it's no discussion. Like I'm going to do it. And so even though he's like, not the person that she would on the exterior want, it's just like, they're so, it's like magnetic. Like they were just so drawn to each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I really liked that idea of, I think we sometimes look at our checklists in romance and In looking for a partner, in looking for someone that we want in our lives. And we miss those opportunities because we're so busy looking at the checklist that we don't see their heart. And Hunter was completely not what her checklist said, but Mm. his heart was everything she needed. Mm. And that's what makes him a great hero for her.
0: Yeah, he was. He was great. Yeah. He was swoon-worthy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> As an already single father, he was sweet, and to see him step up and take the children of the character Sadie, along with balancing his duties around the ranch. In defense of cowboys and romance novels, what do you enjoy writing about them? Like, why do you enjoy writing them into your stories?
1: That's such a trick question. <laughs> can Can I just preface this with saying, like, I love a billionaire, but Sarah and I will choose a cowboy any <laughs> day. <Every> day. <laughs> so, I mean, we just had to ask because we have the opportunity to talk yeah, to an author yeah. who writes cowboys. That's so. right.
2: So here's the funny thing about that. Growing up, I grew up in cowboy land. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around all of this stuff. And frankly, I... Left home, went to college, all that stuff. And I said, I hate cowboys. I will never marry a cowboy. (laughs) They're like gross. So then I get married. I have children. My children are these horse loving freaks. (laughs) (laughs) Who do everything with horses. And my husband just kind of jumped into it. I was like, what the heck? And he said, oh, well, I've always wanted to be a cowboy. (laughs) Oh my gosh!
1: That life me? found you. Yeah,
2: are you kidding me? Again, like it's the checklist thing. Like my right. checklist was definitely no cowboys. Yeah. Uh, but as as my kids have done so much with their with horseback riding and being part of a western horseback cl- group. And being around cowboys now as an adult, I was around a bunch of jerky cowboys growing up. But now I I also, and and there still are. There's still a lot of, I'm like, ew, gross. Mm -hmm. But there are also a lot of really great cowboys with really big hearts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm choosing to write about them because I I look at some of them and I see the influence that they've had in my kids' lives and the really wonderful things that they do. So
1: it's kind of this weird full circle thing yeah
2: it, never 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 oh yeah. here it is
1: <laughs> I mean I feel like while there is a huge audience of romance readers that, that love cowboy romance it also feels like people will choose other things and not even give them a second and I'm just like you're missing out on some wonderful it's essentially the same thing it's like a different mm-hmm. setting yeah, and I yeah. think that's what like really rubs me the wrong way. And I'm yeah. like so tired of like trying to defend it to people. I'm like, it's the same thing as everything else that you're reading. It's yeah. just the setting. The setting yeah. is really what's different. And this man literally makes money by working with his hands. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those
2: assholes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's, and, and, and it's funny because my, my editor has kind of told me, she's like, yeah, um, you can write what you want. Just write cowboys. <laughs> like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Editors so, know
2: best. Editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is one of those things that it's, it is really interesting and it's funny because for as many people, You say, oh, gosh, cowboys, really? Mm -hmm. There's also so many people who are like, oh, I love cowboys. I can't get enough of them. (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) That's what I love about romance. There's something for everyone. It's true. And that's what makes it really beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So the romance between Raylan and Hunter was perfectly slow moving and so worth it in the end. But another relationship in the story we were excited to see you give us a bit more of was Raylin's relationship with her mother, Luanne. As a writer, what inspired the choice to include that exploration into Raylan and Luanne's <coughs> relationship?
2: That's a really great question. I think that was one of the happy surprises that come when you're writing and you're discovering, okay, why does she feel this way? Why is she like this? As I was initially working on it, Raylan's bitterness, I think was really strong. And my editor was like, you know, you got to tone this down. And I'm like, "Uh, but it's so important. And I do think that her bitterness really makes a lot of who she is and made her struggle so powerful. But I really wanted her to find that healing Mm -hmm. because I think that for so many people, we have those wounds that are unhealed. Mm -hmm. And again, that's part of what's important to me is making sure that when I'm going to put something out there in what I write as, okay, this is like this huge deal in someone's life, especially Mm -hmm. as an emotional situation, I want my readers to leave there feeling hope that there is hope that these things can be resolved mm-hmm. because I do believe in that. I believe that there's always hope. And I wanted to make sure that Ray Lynn had some kind of healing there because that was such a huge part of the wounding she had as a character. And I think really necessary to her growth.
1: And she's big on like, she's she's a writer. She's like a journalist and it's she's all about objectivity. And so I think one of the things that I really love that you did was you had to bring her mom to where she was. I feel like Raylin had to see her mom and, you know, her grandfather fix things. Otherwise, I don't think she would have believed that everything was okay.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there was... The whole point of this book, the whole point of this series was that reconciliation in that Double R family. That's why it's the Double R legacy. And for the readers who aren't familiar with the series, the the whole premise of the series is Ricky, who is the patriarch of the Double R ranch, has a long lost grandchild that he's searching for. As he faces the end of his life, he wants to find this long-lost grandchild and make amends. And so the first three books are grandchildren he didn't know existed. And finally, that fourth book, the book we're talking about now with Ray Lynn, Ray Lynn is the grandchild he's been searching for all along, and he's been wanting to make amends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so really, for Ricky to have that closure and to have that closure in that series, Ricky too had to speak with Luann and have that moment with Luann to have that healing to bring that series to a close. So I I think she was also important. It was also important to bring her there for that Mm -hmm. purpose that Mm -hmm. yes, it was about Ray Lynn and her journey, but also Ricky needed that because this whole series has been Ricky looking for that grandchild and making amends for what happened in the past.
0: And I think that's what I really love about the love-inspired line is that, yeah, you often get these internal struggles with characters or with <laughs> other characters within stories, but in love-inspired, it it takes precedence right up there with the romance. It It's not, right. you know, like a lower, it's it's right there. You have to have one or you're not going to have the other.
1: Yes, and like yes. you said, you're going to yes. get
0: that hope. And that's what I really love because the emotional... Um, journey for the characters is so big. And that's my favorite part of the whole. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. And and for me personally, when I look at a romance and I look at relationships, because it really, romance is just a relationship, is that we all come into a relationship with baggage. You have to find that emotional healing in some way, or that romance is never going to last because you haven't, healed whatever that wound is whatever that injury is and that's so important to have for the characters to be able to move on
1: yeah i'm glad you said that sarah because it it really does this book it feels like that closure that healing Mm -hmm. was so needed or like her 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 love story her romance with hunter it wouldn't have worked Mm -hmm. I don't think it wouldn't it it, like they went so everything the stars aligned perfectly it just
2: (laughs) I think that in order to really be able to love someone sure you'll still have your wounds but Mm -hmm. the love that you have for someone is going to be so much stronger if that's coming from a healthy healed place as opposed to this place of deep wounding that's never been resolved
0: yeah absolutely absolutely you and I are both uh, members of. Well, you. I think you run the Harlequin Connections uh, group on Facebook. I, I do. I do. That's actually Could you let job. us let our Just... listeners know who are unfamiliar with it? Can you talk about it a bit and
2: share how people can find it? So, the Harlequin Connection Facebook book group is a Facebook group for people who love Harlequin romance for all of the Harlequin lines, and so it's it's a great place for romance lovers. It actually began in 1999 ish somewhere there in that range and was an online community that harlequin has always run we moved it to facebook several years ago just because it was a much easier platform Mm -hmm. to use and everyone was on facebook Mm -hmm. so it seems to be the best place to have a good conversation to get to know other readers and also interact with your favorite authors. When I first joined the Harlequin community, and that was back in 2001, I loved that I was the biggest fangirl because all these authors that I had known and loved for years, I got to talk to them. I got to interact with them and they would answer my questions. And it was such a thrill for me to be able to meet these people whose books had touched my life. And so that's for me, what has always driven that Harlequin connection community, because that was what I experienced and I want others to have that same experience. And it's been so important, especially now that we've been in this COVID season yeah. of not getting to interact. And so I, I love being able to give that gift. It's like I said, that is my day job. I, I work for Harlequin in their social media. Awesome. So uh, that's one of the th- that's one of the properties I manage is that community. So it's that on is Facebook. So cool. It's called Harlequin <laughs> Connection. So look for it on Facebook. We also have a write for Harlequin community. So for aspiring authors who want to write for Harlequin, there's a separate community where we talk how to write for Harlequin and
1: that's is it separate from the like right for harlequin website or
2: it is it is but if you go to the right for harlequin website there is a link on there to join the community
1: okay and i'll make sure we leave it in show notes okay yeah
2: yeah (laughs) yeah so make sure we leave it yeah so it's, it's a really great opportunity and that's that's how i got started writing for harlequin is how how do you write a book for Harlequin? Well, mm-hmm. I went to the website and <laughs> I joined the community and I talked with authors and other writers and learned about writing for Harlequin because it really is a very different experience than I just want to write a book. Harlequin readers expect a certain reading experience from their books. Mm-hmm. I would say 95% of people who say, oh, I want to write a book, miss that mark.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because They don't understand that it really is about giving that consistent reading experience. You guys were talking about what you love about Love Inspired. And that's because when you pick up the book, even though it's a different book every time and it's a different author, there's still that consistency in what you know you're going to get.
1: So what did you have to learn? I mean, it sounds like you've always always had your hand in writing, but then you joined the group what did you have to learn about Love Inspired specifically? Did you know, like, was your heart set on, this is the series that I want to write for? Yeah. So were you having to, A, learn the category Harlequin Ropes, and then, like, separate learning for this series specifically, or, or what? It's kind
2: of an another one of those interesting journeys. Okay. We love interesting journeys. I don't ever do anything linear. So when I first... Thought I was going to write for Harlequin. I cut my teeth on Harlequin Presents. I love a good Harlequin Presents. So, and, <laughs> yeah. And so I started, that's what I started trying to write. And I failed miserably at it. So, I started writing for all of, trying to write for all these different Harlequin lines, which a lot of new people who want to write for Harlequin try to do. They want mm-hmm. to try to write for everything. And that's what I did. And I failed because I wasn't hitting the mark for that specific line. Okay. I was, I was try because I wasn't laser focused on what that line looked like. And so that was a huge part of it. The other part of it was I really put a lot of pressure on myself. And so I got to a point where I realized that one of the reasons trying to write for other lines wasn't working for me was because for me, that emotional journey and that emotional growth is so important. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that in creating that emotional journey, there's a faith piece. That's really crucial to me. I was leaving it out for the books that were not necessarily faith-based, but they really fell flat because, okay, why did you have this epiphany? Why are you having this change? And, 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 for, for me, it was really all about that faith and that source to me of coming from that very core of our essence that is faith. I believe that's true also for people not of faith, that they, there's still that core essence that stems from what we would consider faith, mm-hmm. even if it isn't how they would necessarily define it or look at it. There's just that intrinsic piece of what you believe in. For me, that's where I started, but I put so much pressure on myself and that I really believe hurt me. And so I was sitting with my agent having drinks one night. I mean, or no, I'm sorry. We were sitting, having, uh, we were like, it was like a Starbucks kind of place. Um, and we're just sitting there and, uh, he, he said to me, why don't you write a historical? And I went through my laundry list of why I didn't want to write historical. He's like, I dare you. <laughs> write a historical. <laughs> if you write a historical, we'll submit it. It's either going to sell or it's not. Mm-hmm. At the end of that experiment, one of us is going to tell the other, I told you so. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, I will never ask you to do that ever again. I'm like, okay well, wouldn't you know, that's what sold. <laughs> and I love it. So, but I think it sold because I had stopped putting pressure on myself. Yeah. I had, it was just like a fun whim of, okay, he dared me to do it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I have no attachment to how it's going to do. And that was the key for me. And through writing all those historical books, I started to understand why my contemporaries for Love Inspired hadn't worked. And part of that is we've talked about that emotional journey is that sometimes I focus so much on the heroine Mm. and what that journey for her is emotionally. I really do tend on the side of women's fiction. I I think every book, there's a point where my editor says, "Um, remember, this is a romance. How is (laughs) this impacting the relationship between the hero and the heroine? I'm like, oh yeah, darn it. Okay. I'll go back. <laughs> so because that is the part that I find most fascinating mm-hmm. and what I do well. So who knows? At some point I probably will write a women's fiction just because that's where my writing tendencies lie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's always that, that looking back, that's why all of those previous books didn't sell is because I was so focused on that emotional journey for the heroine that, I was not leaving enough room for the romance between the hero and heroine.
1: Well, one thing that Sarah and I have learned, uh, we've heard a lot doing the podcast, is figure out what series you want to read and just like binge a bunch of the books. Read what? what's coming out now. And mm-hmm. it sounds like when you when you mention the pressure, I I'm like I can see that pressure. Okay, if I say okay I want to write for heartwarming and I go read everything that's come out this year, it's like. I can imagine the pressure that I would put on myself of like, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is what's coming out. And you have Mm -hmm. other authors voices in your head. It sounds like you had to find where your voice fits. Like you could do it. You just got to figure out what lane you need to be in. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think there's some of that, but I really do think that part of what got me there was that absolute laser focus on what Mm -hmm. I wanted to write Yeah, and, and making sure, like you were saying, reading a bunch of heartwarming That's Mm -hmm. so critical. Uh, I talk to a lot of aspiring authors all the time who are like, well, Harlequin rejected my book. I'm like, well, okay. You've never read a Harlequin. What do you, what do you expect? Mm -hmm. Or you've read one or two Mm -hmm. in that line. You don't know the line well enough to understand what they want. And I can, I can always tell by the questions a person is asking whether or not they're going to sell that book and it's based purely on the fact they don't know their audience. And so, so my advice always is to read a bunch and to get laser focus on it. But I think that the pressure comes from this do or die mentality of Mm -hmm. it has to be this book. Mm -hmm. And instead saying, okay, I'm going to write this book and if it works great, if it doesn't work, I'm going to write the next book. Then I'm gonna write the next book. And I'm just gonna keep writing books until I learn how to write a good book. Yeah. And it's it's not and, and I shouldn't say how to write a good book, because it's not that any of those books are bad, but it's how to write a book that is suitable for that market. Because the thing we always forget, and this is again what you have to decide as a writer, is that when you want to write for Harlequin or really any publisher, is that you are producing a commercial product Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and Mm -hmm. you have to meet the standards of the commercial product. It's not about your art and your creativity. It certainly can be what your artistic freedom looks like is what does artistic freedom look like in the space of I'm producing something that is ultimately out there as something for the readers. It's Mm -hmm. not for what my personal tastes are, It's not for what I think a book should have. It's what my readers want to see in a
1: book. Yeah. And
2: I just happen to be lucky enough that what I like to write is what my readers like to read. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, and we've heard it too, where like, kind of like going back to the, okay, this is a series that I want to write for. Your voice might fit somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, and, and that's why I laugh at the fact that I attempted to write for presents because <laughs> obviously they're two different voices. I was going to say, yeah. In <laughs> two different kinds of stories mm-hmm. and, and, and that level of, there's still that level of emotional intensity in both books, mm-hmm. but it's very different and it's a very different voice. And like you guys loved hunter could you see hunter as a presents hero no (laughs) no
1: (laughs) no 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 no. he's fine where he is that's right yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly. let's leave him alone (laughs) we'll leave him out of this (laughs) you sit to begin writing on your current work in progress. We're going to do some set the scene questions. Okay. Early bird or night owl, what time of day do you find most productive to write?
2: That is ever changing in my world um, because I would love to live my life as a night owl. I am happiest when (laughs) I am living life as a night owl. However, I do have a full-time job and I'm on mountain time They're on Eastern time. So Mm -hmm. I already start work two hours later than they do. So to start my day any later than what I do just wouldn't work for my job. And to stay up as late as I ideally would like to stay up, I won't be able to get up in the morning to go to work. Mm -hmm. So it's really a weird balancing act because I know that's my preferred way of working what I have learned, especially now that I have older children and a busy life and all of that is it's really about writing when I have, when I find the time. Okay. So it's like, there's the preferred mode of operation. And then there's the, I just have to get stuff done and this is when I can do it. And so I'm going to make it happen regardless.
1: Going back to Harlequin Connections really quick. Are there any plans of like, Going to any other social media, or is Facebook really working for the group?
2: So Harlequin has a uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and YouTube, and so, so all
1: of that kind of goes on. Because I know I we, we follow like Harlequin books and stuff like that, but like for yeah. the for the connections, does that just fall under?
2: Right, this, it like, just media? falls under that general social umbrella and. Okay. Where And where people prefer to interact because mm-hmm. some people absolutely love Facebook. Some yeah. people like the Facebook page and some people like the intimacy of a group. Some people prefer to be on Instagram. Some people prefer TikTok. And so really we're trying to be in all of the spaces where our readers are so that we can connect with them in a way that we're going to be able to approach them and okay. meet what they need. Are you a plotter or a pantser when it comes to your stories? So I am mostly a plotter. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because I, like I was telling you earlier about the proposal, Mm -hmm. I just with this series, I sent in four books and I had only written three chapters of one, but (laughs) I still have to have a good enough idea Mm -hmm. that my editor can look at what I propose and say, yes, it sounds like there's a solid story here. Go for it. And so I really do have to start with that roadmap and at least have that idea. And so with each book, what happens then is she buys that big proposal. And so I've written that first, so I write that first book. Well, then when it comes to the second book, I have to send her the first three chapters and the synopsis again. And so before each, I write each book, I have to do that. And so I really do have to know where the story is going Mm -hmm. For me, I have to have somewhat of, ai wouldn't say it's super detailed, because I know people who are way more detailed than I am. But I really do have to have that sense of, okay, this is what's going to happen to trigger this or that. And Mm -hmm. especially like a black moment, it can't just come out of the air, it's got to happen organically, and you have to build to that. And so what does that look like for your story? So I so so I do plot quite a bit, but there's a little bit of the pantser in me. Obviously, in this book, the role that Luann played in the story, I had not predicted that. Like, I really, when I submitted my proposal, I think originally it was just like a quick visit. And as they had this longer visit, I realized, no, she's so important and has to be here mm-hmm. for all of this to work. And then... I don't want to spoil this, but the resolution between Ricky and Luann had to happen Mm -hmm. with Luann being there and interacting Mm -hmm. with them. And which to me was such a beautiful gesture and a beautiful full circle healing place. And I didn't, that totally blew me away when I, when I was writing and I realized that's where it was going. I was like, oh, Well, okay, sweet. Yeah, (laughs) we'll go with it. (laughs) Luann
1: charged in and just... (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) She is quite the character.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before you begin for the day? Or are you like pretty familiar and just kind of jump right back in?
2: I have... A weird process, as, as everything I do, you guys are learning. <laughs> um, but, it, and some people are starting to do more of this, but I dictate my books. Yep. What I end up doing is I will dictate and then transcribe it. So I dictate into a voice recorder, and then I plug it into my computer and transcribe it. And so when I start my writing for the day, I go back through and I edit what was transcribed because um, the transcription and the recording is not always great. I have a lot of cleanup to do, so I do a lot of the cleanup. Mm-hmm. Then once I've done that cleanup, that's when I start writing the next piece.
0: Okay.
1: Okay, so for anyone like me who doesn't know what dictate means, are you like recording the words? Yeah.
2: So I, I, I do. I like I have a little voice recorder, and I basically, where most people would be typing, I actually just speak the words. That is so cool. I, it's like a,
1: really, it's like a corner you cut. <laughs> yeah, you
2: know, I, I had to do something because I was in a car accident a few years ago, and even still today, typing and my brain don't always work together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, and so I was finding that I was typing was slower, but also I was making more mistakes. And it's really funny because my editor has said to me a couple times, "Yeah, I can tell you dictated this part. Look at, you, there's a lot of mistakes here." And I'm thinking, "No, that's
1: the part I typed." <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: it's just, however, my brain works now, mm-hmm. it, and that really weird. sounds
1: like me with writing. Like my brain is way faster than my yeah. hands. <laughs>
2: And, and it is weird, the things that I picked up and lost with, with that. Um, I used to be an avid knitter, and I would knit constantly. And I still do knit. I still like to knit. The problem is, is that I don't always remember how to purl.
0: Okay.
2: And it's so weird, because it's so easy. And I'll be knitting, and I'll need to purl. And I'm like, wait, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me watch this YouTube video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember It's And just that muscle memory, even working with our horses and tying the knots, I don't remember how to do that. My daughter will get really frustrated with me because she's like, Mom, you did that knot wrong. I'm like, I'm sorry. I tried. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever reason, whatever connection in your brain is, I I don't have it anymore. And I don't know how to fix that. I'd love to. But you you learn ways to adapt. So that's why I started dictating. And it works well for me. Are there any necessities you need
0: around while you're writing?
2: I love a good cup of tea when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And so that is pretty, a a pretty big necessity. And sometimes I like snacks, sometimes not. Working on the COVID weight. So trying to lean more towards the not on snacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I really love to do though, which is again, weird and not, A necessity so much. I just find it really productive. Is I'll go for a drive, and so I dictate while I'm driving, and that real, especially if I'm really stuck on something, that will just really help me. So yeah, that's
1: neat. Do you set daily writing goals? And for any aspiring writers that may be listening, do you have any advice for anyone unsure of how to figure out what their daily writing goal should be?
2: I used to have daily writing goals. I don't right now. And part of that is that my life has been so chaotic that I was finding having a daily writing goal was putting too much pressure on myself.
1: Pressure. Yeah. Okay.
2: And it really was hard to look at that and go, like, oh, I failed this day. I failed this day. I failed this Mm -hmm. day. And so what I do instead is I, I make it for the week. Okay. And and it's it's more of okay, where do I want to be this week on my writing? And that gives me the freedom to be able to say, okay, here's how I'm gonna break it down. Oh look, today I did way more than I planned. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And tomorrow oh look, and, and maybe that week I end up doing more than what I planned. But to me it's it's much less pressure than having those daily goals and not feeling like I'm living up to that. So, and again, like it's just the season of life I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the thing that I would tell aspiring writers about that is yes, the advice to write every day and set daily writing goals is great advice. Along with that though, I think that there has to be that recognition of what season of life are you in Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge that and be okay with that. And to give yourself that grace and acceptance of saying, this is what works for me and that's okay. And to understand what your personal process is. I think it's great to hear about other people's processes Mm -hmm. and try them because you don't know what will or what won't work. Originally dictation didn't work for me, but I had to do something if I was going to keep writing and Mm -hmm. For me, a huge inspiration in that was Macy Yates. She was talking about her dictation and how she dictates while she drives. Yep. And so knowing that Macy does that and hearing how she did it, I do it completely differently from how she does it. But understanding her process helped me find mine. And so it's really important as an aspiring author to say, okay what does my process look like? Mm -hmm. What works for me? And finding ways to duplicate that, but also to be flexible in that process and say, okay, my process is changing. I I used to, my job with Harlequin, it used to just be Mm -hmm. Mm part-time. And so I had the flexibility to where I could stay up until two o'clock in the morning writing. And that felt amazing. Mm -hmm. But once I moved to working for them full-time and needing to keep similar office hours to the rest of the Toronto office, I had to adjust my writing life to that. And it changes too with seasons with your children. I could, I would sit and and breastfeed while I wrote. And that was really precious writing time for me. And then my kids got to the point where I could only write when they were sleeping because they were into everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
2: I just, I've just switched seasons again because it used to be that I was taking my kids to all their activities. Mm -hmm. And so I got really good at sitting in my car during soccer practice or during horseback riding practice and riding in my Mm -hmm. car. Now my youngest has her driver's license. And so I don't have to do that anymore. And, (laughs) and it was weird transitioning from, okay, I know that Three days a week, I have two hours sitting in my car where I can write. Yeah. To, wow, I don't, have, I don't have that time blocked off anymore. Where do I find that time now? I, I think really being forgiving of yourself and being willing to adjust. Now, if you keep making excuses of, oh, yeah, I didn't write today. I didn't write today. That's where you have a problem. But as long as you have some sort of system where you're keeping yourself accountable Or and rewarding yourself, because I think it's so important to acknowledge your successes and reward yourself for your successes. Don't Mm -hmm. beat yourself up for all your mistakes, because I think that's so counterproductive and it's so harmful.
0: So other than the device that you use to do your dictating, is there any other programs you use on your computer for your writing?
2: So I use Dragon, which is the transcription program. Okay. Okay. And so um, it's it's called Dragon, I think Dragon Dictation or Dragon Anywhere or something. Yeah, it's Dragon Dictation. Mm-hmm. Dragon Anywhere is a different version of the program. But um, I made sure there's a couple different versions of Dragon. So I made sure I got the one that allows you to plug in a recording and transcribe it. Okay. So that That was important to me because there are other ways you can dictate. Like you can dictate now directly into Word. But it doesn't have the transcription option. Okay. And Google also, you can dictate into Google. But again, no transcription option. And so because I like the transcription, that's how I did
1: it. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's get into some roundout questions before we wrap this up. Who is one of your most read authors?
2: Um, I love Madeline Lingle. Um, okay. her books are amazing. She is so inspirational to me. And um if I could live my best author life, I would totally live a life similar to hers because she's just absolute she was just had this amazing life. And, and she, if you have not read them, she's got a whole series of journals called the Crosswicks journals, and they are her personal journals. Okay. And they're amazing because I read them, I'm like, I want that life. That's my dream (laughs) life right there.
1: I am writing this down because I love (laughs) journals. I love reading people's journals.
2: Yeah. She's amazing. It's it's such a great peek at her life and who she was as a human being. And Mm -hmm. it just, I find so much inspiration in that. And she's an amazing storyteller. I love her books. So yeah. Yeah.
0: What's your favorite romance trope to
1: read?
2: Ooh, my favorite romance trope.
1: Um, I really love enemies to lovers. That is like the iconic answer that we get.
2: I love it it. it it because, like, for me, there's just so much juicy conflict of somebody who is even, even in this story, even though they weren't necessarily enemies, Mm -hmm. but somebody who is just totally wrong for them. And realizing you have way more in common than you think you did. I, I love just in life, that concept of taking an enemy and turning them into a friend.
1: Yep. Yep. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given?
2: Oh, wow. Um, for me, the best advice I've been given that I'm really working on right now because I don't think ever is this is necessarily one I could pin down. But right now I'm really working on just learning to let go of things Mm -hmm. because I tend to analyze everything to death and remember everything. And um, just as an example, I had a really uncomfortable situation with a very good friend yesterday and um very upsetting. And I still like, boy, if I have like 10 seconds to myself, I'm sitting here analyzing it, going, okay, how can I fix this? Wait, what's this? this, this, this. And that's so unproductive and unhelpful. Psychological studies abound in how unhelpful that actually is. Yeah. And so I'm really working hard at just that advice of just let it go. Yeah. And I'm doing better at it, but I still, I still struggle. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: same. It's, it's all about learning and yeah. improving though, right? Yes. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I cannot get the last 30 minutes of my life back that I just spent stressing out, freaking out, like trying right. to analyze this argument yep. that I just had that yeah, yeah. does not matter. Yes. <laughs> and
2: it was really, I just read this article, which is semi related to that, that, of everything you worry about only 15% ever happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, why are we doing this to ourselves? I just (laughs) like, let's let it go and get our lives back and and get that time back that we could do something more productive and Mm -hmm. enjoyable.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, Now. And then
0: knowing what you know, now, what's something you'd go back and tell yourself when you began, first began your writing career.
2: I think I would tell myself about that idea of just not putting so much pressure on myself that, mm-hmm. that like, especially for me because I'm just such a high achieving personality. And so it's really hard, not like you, you set this goal of I'm going to publish a book. Well, so much of that is beyond your control. And so you've set almost this, impossibly horrible goal to put pressure on yourself for something that you don't have a lot of control over. And mm-hmm. so to just say, okay, this is an experience. This is a journey. And I'm not going to put the pressure on myself. If I do this, I do it. If I don't, I don't. And it's okay. And to just give myself that grace and love and acceptance, regardless of the outcome.
1: Mm-hmm. Ebook, audiobook, or print copy. What's your preferred reading method?
2: I'm all about the print. Okay. I, I mean, I, 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 I know that the the listeners won't see this, but I'm looking at Sarah's bookcases behind her and <laughs> going, okay, so I want to come over to Sarah's house. I want to talk <laughs> the books. They're like
1: three deep on the they're shelf. They're
2: three deeps. Um, Well, here, let me let me see again. I'm sorry that no one on the podcast can see oh. it, but there's my bookshelves. Oh wow! And, and the shelves that are empty are only empty because we're under construction on my house, and mm. most of my books are in storage. Okay. So I'm finally able to get them out of storage, so I can put them on the shelves. But yeah, in my office alone, I have seven bookcases. Wow! wow. I have one bookcase well, one and a half bookcases in my bedroom. I have one bookcase in my living room. I have two bookcases in my family room. And part of why my books are still in storage is we're getting ready to build me a custom bookcase. Wow. Because that's how many I still have. Yep. (laughs) And uh, I I know I need to call books. I I do. I I know in, in my heart Oh no, in my mind, I know that's the right thing to do, but in my heart, I just can't. And so even with my job, I I have the ability to download books and I'm I'm allowed a certain number of books each week that I can download for free. And um, I have downloaded way more than I have read. (laughs) I will read eBooks, but I consider them a necessary evil. I do like audio when I'm driving. I'll yeah. listen to audio. But again, here we are in COVID season, still ish. Yeah. And I don't drive anymore. Yeah. So even though I'm open to audiobooks and I like audiobooks, it's it's a driving thing. It's I listen to
0: I'm the same for my audio books. It was always for the commute. And then yeah. when I stopped commuting to the office, that you know.
1: I lost that yeah. time, so. <laughs> I remember that message. It's like, I just can't listen to the audiobooks because I'm not commuting to work. The <laughs> right, right.
2: Or, or like if I'm doing chores around the house, so again, the construction thing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of painting that has to be done that I um, am really behind on. You won't discuss that fully. But <laughs> I, I do, when I'm painting, I'll, I will put on an audiobook and listen to it to, because painting's so tedious. It's for sure. And, so, if I'm doing something like that, I'll have an audiobook on, but yeah. otherwise.
0: I know when you said about your accident, about 10 years ago, my mom had a stroke and she was an avid, avid reader. And after the stroke, she found she couldn't concentrate on a book. Like uh-huh. the, her words, the words would jump, right? Right. So, it right. took about five or six years for me to convince her to try audiobooks. She now listens to like one a day. Like oh, I think she's awesome. run out of
2: books at the library, <laughs> and she loves it, and that's it's yeah, great, you know, it's great. I, that's my worst nightmare is, is to oh. run out of reading, and and it's funny because my my daughter has some struggles with reading. She's mm-hmm. really challenged in her ability to read, but she loves audiobooks, oh, mm-hmm. well, that's awesome. and so it's awesome because she's constantly downloading them from the library, and yep. you'll you'll see her kind of walking around the house, and I. I we have to. I have to really like. Okay, wait. What are you doing there? Because she will often be listening to an audiobook. She just will walk around with her little earbuds in, and yep. has that audiobook going. Oh, so that I'm is that's so awesome. Cool. I'm I'm so grateful to audiobooks because, like For I said, sure. she really does struggle with reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like your mom, although she didn't have a stroke, it's just a learning disability. It is. It is. And the fact that this whole world of books is opened up to her, and we have amazing book discussions. And oh, it's all yeah. because of audiobooks.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: I love that. I'm always wondering, like, do teenagers listen to audiobooks? <laughs> like, what are teenagers reading? They do. They do. And actually, it's funny
2: because there are waiting lists for some of the YA books that she wants to listen to. There's huge wait lists. Yeah, she gets mm-hmm. really mad. She'll be like, ah, oh, I just finished this book. And now I'm on the wait list. And it's really long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank goodness for libraries carrying audiobooks because they can be expensive if you have yeah, to purchase them. So thank you libraries. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love libraries for sure. Uh, what was the last book you read?
2: So the last book I read, um, shoot, I was going to bring it over here and then I forgot. Oh, wait, I did bring it. Um, so this one, oh, whoops, you guys can't, I don't know why I just showed it to you because you can't Um, so it's actually a nonfiction book it's called chatter Mm -hmm. by ethan cross the voice in our head why it matters and how to harness it and so it really is all about the voices in our head again this is part of the whole let it go thing that i'm trying to work on is is just that idea of settling down that stuff in your mind and, and focusing on what's important. So that, that's actually what I read most recently because I'm really on this huge nonfiction kick um, right now.
1: 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title?
2: So it's going to be some version of Walden uh, just because mm-hmm. it's I, another book I love. And it's how I kind of envision my life in some ways, except put in some writer stuff. But I don't know what place it would be because I don't know what place I will be in in 15 years. So whatever place name it is, version of Walden.
0: You decide you want takeout for dinner. Where are you ordering from and what's your order?
2: I am going to order Chinese and my order will probably be depending on if I'm feeling healthy or not. If I'm not, if I'm feeling not healthy... I'm going to have orange chicken or sesame chicken, Mm -hmm. um, but obviously kind of fried. So if I am feeling more healthy, I'll probably do like some kind of shrimp and vegetable thing. Mm. Okay.
1: What's one book you wish you could read again for the first time?
2: I, You know, I struggle with this question and I've been thinking a lot about it because I feel like Even though I've read a lot of books multiple times, I feel like every read of it is a different experience and I get something different out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't really know that there is a book that I would need to read for the first time because I could read the same book a million times and still find something new.
1: Every time. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And can you share what is coming up next from you?
2: So, we're still figuring that out. So, we'll <laughs> see. Um, that's a big may. We'll see. Okay. Um, but I'm playing with some, a few ideas that I'm excited about. We'll see what comes to fruition there. So, Yay.
1: Well, we're excited.
2: I know. And lastly, where can everyone find you online? So, my website is danicafavorite.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also on Twitter very infrequently and Facebook, and Instagram. And I'm slowly learning the whole TikTok thing for work. So I've also got a small TikTok for myself. And I think I have a total of like two videos on it. But <laughs> as, as I, I learn more skills for work, I'll probably add to that as well, just because it's kind of That's fun.
1: awesome. Okay. So, it's so interesting to see more authors getting on TikTok. I'm just yeah. like, I, I feel like for us as bloggers, there's pressure to be on like every social media platform, and it feels like for authors that has to be like times yeah, ten. Yeah. And,
2: <laughs> it is. It, it is hard, and and I mostly there because I honestly when I when we were first looking at it, oh yeah, let's do TikTok. I'm like, uh, why? And then <laughs> yeah. I find myself getting sucked into all of these book talk videos. I'm like, okay, fine. Oh, yeah. But I do yeah. think as an author that you really have to pick what you love i am on twitter to say i'm on twitter Mm -hmm. but if you're looking to interact with me you are never going to really be able to do that on twitter because i don't like twitter yeah yeah so it it really is Mm -hmm. about finding where you're comfortable interacting and just interacting there and everything else you should have a presence there so that if someone wants to tag you or something like that they they can find you um my Mm -hmm. biggest pet peeve with authors is they don't have a Facebook page because people can't tag you unless you have a page. And so that (laughs) is free promo that somebody else is doing for you. So do it like just have it there. You don't have to post there all the time, but Mm. at least it's there so people can find you.
1: Well, This has been an absolute honor. For sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, it
2: was so fun. I I feel like I could just sit and chat with you guys for hours. Thank
0: you. you
1: (laughs) Listeners, make sure you check the show notes. All of Danica's information will be listed down below. Follow her. Keep up with her. Mm -hmm. And we're just so excited to see what comes next. But I mean, in the meantime, you have a very extensive backlist for people. Yes, we do. I I, I do.
2: And like, actually, like I said, I know that my historicals are being re-released as Mm two-in-ones. Definitely look for those because it's really, it's kind of neat to be able to get those books. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Having them come back. Yeah. Yeah. And being in stores again. Well, Sarah and I will chat with you all in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening again, Danica. Thank you for being here and we will talk to you later.